Chapter Number Nine of The Law and the Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wiebke Müller. The Law and the Lady by Wilkie Collins. Chapter Nine: The Defeat of the Major. Major Fitzdavid's visitor proved to be a plump, round-eyed, overdressed girl with a florid complexion and straw-colored hair. After first fixing on me a broad stare of astonishment, she pointedly addressed her apologies for intruding on us to the Major alone. The creature evidently believed me to be the last new object of the old gentleman's idolatry, and she took no pains to disguise her jealous resentment on discovering us together. Major Fitzdavid set matters right in his own irresistible way. He kissed the hand of the overdressed girl as devotedly as he had kissed mine. He told her she was looking charmingly. Then he led her, with his happy mixture of admiration and respect, back to the door by which she had entered, a second door communicating directly with the hall. "'No apology is necessary, my dear,' he said. "'This lady is with me on a matter of business. You will find your singing-master waiting for you upstairs.' begin your lesson and i will join you in a few minutes au revoir my charming pupil au revoir the young lady answered this polite little speech in a whisper with her round eyes fixed distrustfully on me while she spoke the door closed on her major fitzdavid was at liberty to set matters right with me in my turn i call that young person one of my happy discoveries said the old gentleman complacently she possesses i don't hesitate to say the finest soprano voice in europe would you believe it i met with her at the railway station she was behind the counter in a refreshment room poor innocent rinsing wine-glasses and singing over her work good heavens such singing her upper notes electrified me i said to myself here is a born prima donna i will bring her out she is the third i have brought out in my time i shall take her to italy when her education is sufficiently advanced and perfect her at milan in that unsophisticated girl my dear lady you see one of the future queens of song listen she is beginning her scales what a voice brava brava bravissima the high soprano notes of the future queen of song rang through the house as he spoke of the loudness of the young lady's voice there could be no sort of doubt the sweetness and the purity of it admitted in my opinion of considerable dispute having said the polite words which the occasion rendered necessary i ventured to recall major fitzdavid to the subject in discussion between us when his visitor had entered the room the major was very unwilling to return to the perilous topic on which we had just touched when the interruption occurred he bet time with his forefinger to the singing upstairs he asked me about my voice and whether i sang he remarked that life would be intolerable to him without love and art a man in my place would have lost all patience and would have given up the struggle in disgust being a woman and having my end in view my resolution was invincible i fairly wore out the major's resistance and compelled him to surrender at discretion it is only justice to add that when he did make up his mind to speak to me again of eustace he spoke frankly and spoke to the point i have known your husband he began since the time when he was a boy at a certain period of his life a terrible misfortune fell upon him 
the secret of that misfortune is known to his friends and is religiously kept by his friends it is the secret that he is keeping from you he will never tell it to you as long as he lives and he has bound me not to tell it under a promise given on my word of honour you wish dear mrs woodville to be made acquainted with my position toward you stars there it is you persist in calling me mrs woodville i said your husband wishes me to persist the major answered he assumed the name of woodville fearing to give his own name when he first called at your uncle's house he will now acknowledge no other remonstrance is useless you must do what we do you must give way to an unreasonable man the best fellow in the world in other respects in this one matter as obstinate and self-willed as he can be if you ask me my opinion i tell you honestly that i think he was wrong in courting and marrying you under his false name he trusted his honour and his happiness to your keeping in making you his wife why should he not trust the story of his troubles to you as well his mother quite shares my opinion in this matter you must not blame her for refusing to admit you into her confidence after your marriage it was then too late before your marriage she did all she could do without betraying secrets which as a good mother she was bound to respect to induce her son to act justly toward you i commit no indiscretion when i tell you that she refused to sanction your marriage mainly for the reason that eustace refused to follow her advice and to tell you what his position really was on my part i did all i could to support mrs macallan in the course that she took when eustace wrote to tell me that he had engaged himself to marry a niece of my good friend dr starkweather and that he had mentioned me as his reference i wrote back to warn him that i would have nothing to do with the affair unless he revealed the whole truth about himself to his future wife he refused to listen to me as he had refused to listen to his mother and he held me at the same time to my promise to keep a secret when starkweather wrote to me i had no choice but to involve myself in a deception of which i thoroughly disapproved or to answer in a tone so guarded and so brief as to stop the correspondence at the outset i chose the last alternative and i fear i have offended my good old friend you now see the painful position in which i am placed to add to the difficulties of that situation eustace came here this very day to warn me to be on my guard in case of your addressing to me the very request which you have just made he told me that you had met with his mother by an unlucky accident and that you had discovered the family name he declared that he had travelled to london for the express purpose of speaking to me personally on this serious subject i know your weakness he said where women are concerned valeria is aware that you are my old friend she will certainly write to you she may even be bold enough to make her way into your house renew your promise to keep the great calamity of my life a secret on your honour and on your oath those were his words as nearly as i can remember them i try to treat the thing lightly i ridicule the absurdly theatrical notion of renewing my promise and all the rest of it quite useless he refused to leave me he reminded me of his unmerited sufferings poor fellow in the past time it ended in his bursting into tears you love him and so do i can you wonder that i let him have his way the result is that i am doubly bound to tell you nothing by the most sacred promise that a man can give my dear lady i cordially side with you in this matter i long to relieve your anxieties but what can i do he stopped and waited 
gravely waited to hear my reply. I had listened from beginning to end without interrupting him. The extraordinary change in his manner and in his way of expressing himself while he was speaking of Eustace alarmed me as nothing had alarmed me yet. How terrible, I thought to myself, must this untold story be if the mere act of referring to it makes light-hearted Major Fitzdavid speak seriously and sadly, never smiling, never paying me a compliment, never even noticing the singing upstairs. My heart sank in me as I drew that startling conclusion. For the first time since I had entered the house I was at the end of my resources. I knew neither what to say nor what to do next and yet i kept my seat never had the resolution to discover what my husband was hiding from me been more firmly rooted in my mind than it was at that moment i cannot account for the extraordinary inconsistency in my character which this confession implies i can only describe the facts as they really were the singing went on upstairs major fitzdavid still waited impenetrably to hear what i had to say to know what i resolved on doing next before i had decided what to say or what to do another domestic incident happened in plain words another knocking announced a new visitor at the house door on this occasion there was no rustling of a woman's dress in the hall on this occasion only the old servant entered the room carrying a magnificent nosegay in his hand with lady clarinda's kind regards to remind major fitzdavid of his appointment another lady this time a lady with a title a great lady who sent her flowers and her messages without condescending to concealment the major first apologizing to me wrote a few lines of acknowledgment and sent them out to the messenger when the door was closed again he carefully selected one of the choicest flowers in the nosegay may i ask he said presenting the flower to me with his best grace whether you now understand the delicate position in which i am placed between your husband and yourself the little interruption caused by the appearance of the nosegay had given a new impulse to my thoughts and had thus helped in some degree to restore me to myself i was able at last to satisfy major fitzdavid that his considerate and courteous explanation had not been thrown away upon me i thank you most sincerely major i said you have convinced me that i must not ask you to forget on my account the promise which you have given to my husband it is a sacred promise which i too am bound to respect i quite understand that the major drew a long breath of relief and patted me on the shoulder in high approval of what i had said to him admirably expressed he rejoined recovering his light-hearted looks and his lover-like ways all in a moment my dear lady you have the gift of sympathy you see exactly how i am situated do you know you remind me of my charming lady clarinda she has the gift of sympathy and sees exactly how i am situated i should so enjoy introducing you to each other said the major plunging his long nose ecstatically into lady clarinda's flowers i had my end still to gain and being as you will have discovered by this time the most obstinate of living women i still kept that end in view i shall be delighted to meet lady clarinda i replied in the meantime i will get up a little dinner proceeded the major with a burst of enthusiasm you and i and lady clarinda our young prima donna shall come in the evening and sing to us suppose we drew out the menu my sweet friend what is your favourite autumn soup in the meantime i persisted 
to return to what we were speaking of just now the major's smile vanished the major's hand dropped the pen destined to immortalize the name of my favorite autumn soup must we return to that he asked piteously only for a moment i said you remind me pursued major fitzdavid shaking his head sadly of another charming friend of mine a french friend madame mirliflore you are a person of prodigious tenacity of purpose madame mirliflore is a person of prodigious tenacity of purpose she happens to be in london shall we have her at our little dinner the major brightened at the idea and took up the pen again do tell me he said what is your favourite autumn soup pardon me i began we were speaking just now oh dear me cried major fitzdavid is this the other subject yes this is the other subject the major put down his pen for the second time and regretfully dismissed from his mind madame mirliflor and the autumn soup yes he said with a patient bow and a submissive smile you were going to say i was going to say i rejoined that your promise only pledges you not to tell the secret which my husband is keeping from me you have given no promise not to answer me if i venture to ask you one or two questions major fitzdavid held up his hand warningly and cast a sly look at me out of his bright little grey eyes stop he said my sweet friend stop there i know where your questions will lead me and what the result will be if i once begin to answer them when your husband was here to-day he took occasion to remind me that i was as weak as water in the hands of a pretty woman he is quite right i am as weak as water i can refuse nothing to a pretty woman dear and admirable lady don't abuse your influence don't make an old soldier false to his word of honour i tried to say something here in defence of my motives the major clasped his hands entreatingly and looked at me with a pleading simplicity wonderful to see why press it he asked i offer no resistance i am a lamb why sacrifice me i acknowledge your power i throw myself on your mercy all the misfortunes of my youth and my manhood have come to me through women i am not a bit better in my age i am just as fond of the women and just as ready to be misled by them as ever with one foot in the grave shocking isn't it but how true look at this mark he lifted a curl of his beautiful brown wig and showed me a terrible scar at the side of his head that wound supposed to be mortal at the time was made by a pistol bullet he proceeded not received in the service of my country oh dear no received in the service of a much-injured lady at the hands of her scoundrel of a husband in a duel abroad well she was worth it he kissed his hand affectionately to the memory of the dead or absent lady and pointed to a water-colour drawing of a pretty country-house hanging on the opposite wall that fine estate he proceeded once belonged to me it was sold years and years since and who had the money the women god bless them all the women i don't regret it if i had another estate i have no doubt it would go the same way your adorable sex has made its pretty playthings of my life my time and my money and welcome 
the one thing i have kept to myself is my honour and now that is in danger yes if you put your clever little questions with those lovely eyes and with that gentle voice i know what will happen you will deprive me of the last and best of all my possessions have i deserved to be treated in that way and by you my charming friend by you of all people in the world oh fie fie he paused and looked at me as before the picture of artless entreaty with his head a little on one side i made another attempt to speak of the matter in dispute between us from my own point of view major fitzdavid instantly threw himself prostrate on my mercy more innocently than ever ask of me anything else in the wide world he said but don't ask me to be false to my friend spare me that and there is nothing i will not do to satisfy you i mean what i say mind he went on bending closer to me and speaking more seriously than he had spoken yet i think you are very hardly used it is monstrous to expect that a woman placed in your situation will consent to be left for the rest of her life in the dark no no if i saw you at this moment on the point of finding out for yourself what eustace persists in hiding from you i should remember that my promise like all other promises has its limits and reserves i should consider myself bound in honour not to help you but i would not lift a finger to prevent you from discovering the truth for yourself at last he was speaking in good earnest he laid a strong emphasis on his closing words i laid a stronger emphasis on them still by suddenly leaving my chair the impulse to spring to my feet was irresistible major fitzdavid had started a new idea in my mind and now we understand each other i said i will accept your own terms major i will ask nothing of you but what you have just offered to me of your own accord what have i offered he inquired looking a little alarmed nothing that you need repent of i answered nothing which is not easy for you to grant may i ask a bold question suppose this house was mine instead of yours consider it yours cried the gallant old gentleman from the garret to the kitchen consider it yours a thousand thanks major i will consider it mine for the moment you know everybody knows that one of a woman's many weaknesses is curiosity suppose my curiosity led me to examine everything in my new house yes suppose i went from room to room and searched everything and peeped in everywhere do you think there would be any chance the quick-witted major anticipated the nature of my question he followed my example he too started to his feet with a new idea in his mind would there be any chance i went on of my finding my own way to my husband's secret in this house one word of reply major fitzdavid only one word yes or no don't excite yourself cried the major yes or no i repeated more vehemently than ever yes said the major after a moment's consideration it was the reply i had asked for but it was not explicit enough now i had got it to satisfy me i felt the necessity of leading him if possible into details does yes mean that there is some sort of clue to the mystery i asked something for instance which my eyes might see and my hands might touch if i could only find it he considered again i saw that i had succeeded in interesting him in some way unknown to myself and i waited patiently until he was prepared to answer me 
the thing you mention he said the clue as you call it might be seen and might be touched supposing you could find it in this house i asked the major advanced a step nearer to me and answered in this room my head began to swim my heart throbbed violently i tried to speak it was in vain the effort almost choked me in the silence i could hear the music lesson still going on in the room above the future prima donna had done practising her scales and was trying her voice now in selections from italian operas at the moment when i first heard her she was singing the beautiful air from the somnambula cam per me sereno i never hear that delicious melody to this day without being instantly transported in imagination to the fatal back room in vivian place the major strongly affected himself by this time was the first to break the silence sit down again he said and pray take the easy chair you are very much agitated you want rest he was right i could stand no longer i dropped into the chair major fitzdavid rang the bell and spoke a few words to the servant at the door i have been here a long time i said faintly tell me if i am in the way in the way he repeated with his irresistible smile you forget that you are in your own house the servant returned to us bringing with him a tiny bottle of champagne and a plate full of delicate little sugared biscuits i have had this wine bottled expressly for the ladies said the major the biscuits come to me direct from paris as a favour to me you must take some refreshment and then he stopped and looked at me very attentively and then he resumed shall i go to my young prima donna upstairs and leave you here alone it was impossible to hint more delicately at the one request which i now had it in my mind to make to him i took his hand and pressed it gratefully the tranquillity of my whole life to come is at stake i said when i am left here by myself does your generous sympathy permit me to examine everything in the room he signed to me to drink the champagne and eat a biscuit before he gave his answer this is serious he said i wish you to be in perfect possession of yourself restore your strength and then i will speak to you i did as he bade me in a minute from the time when i drank it the delicious sparkling wine had begun to revive me is it your express wish he resumed that i should leave you here by yourself to search the room it is my express wish i answered i take a heavy responsibility on myself in granting your request but i grant it for all that because i sincerely believe as you believe that the tranquillity of your life to come depends on you discovering the truth saying those words he took two keys from his pocket you will naturally feel a suspicion he went on of any locked doors that you may find here the only locked places in the room are the doors of the cupboards under the long bookcase and the door of the italian cabinet in that corner the small key opens the bookcase cupboards the long key opens the cabinet door with that explanation he laid the keys before me on the table thus far he said i have rigidly respected the promise which i made to your husband i shall continue to be faithful to my promise whatever may be the result of your examination of the room i am bound in honour not to assist you by word or deed 
am not even at liberty to offer you the slightest hint is that understood certainly very good i have now a last word of warning to give you and then i have done if you do by any chance succeed in laying your hand on the clue remember this the discovery which follows will be a terrible one if you have any doubt about your capacity to sustain a shock which will strike you to the soul for god's sake give up the idea of finding out your husband's secret at once and for ever i thank you for your warning major i must face the consequences of making the discovery whatever they may be you are positively resolved positively very well take any time you please the house and every person in it are at your disposal ring the bell once if you want the man-servant ring twice if you wish the housemaid to wait on you from time to time i shall look in myself to see how you are going on i am responsible for your comfort and security you know while you honour me by remaining under my roof he lifted my hand to his lips and fixed the last attentive look on me i hope i am not running too great a risk he said more to himself than to me the women have led me into many a rash action in my time have you led me i wonder into the rashest action of all with those ominous last words he bowed gravely and left me alone in the room End of chapter nine